Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. FM with you, middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Don't forget the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. That's the number for you to be a part of the conversation. Again, 601-879-4395 at C Spire. They're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cspire cares. Michael Borky, how would you summarize that press conference? Um, more of the same, which is needed. It is needed, and there were some pertinent questions, but man, it feels like it's just Groundhog Day. I said it yesterday, but... We're getting into a routine that is it's press conference, it's questions, it's answers around similar lines, and then it's a show starting late, and I feel like I'm Bill Murray. Yeah. Without the and, uh, humor. W- w- or the cool Jeep, right? Yeah. That too. <laughs> yeah. Uh hey Dad, what's up, man? Not much. Not much here on a on a Wednesday. I wish you didn't. And I don't want to push pause on uh the way the world is right now. I wish we could push pause on the weather. I wish it would be like this every day. Sunny and cool, I'm down. You don't want it a little warmer than this? No, absolutely not. I don't okay. like to sweat. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So what are we, like mid-60s today? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Give me it like feels seven like, more feels like the middle of October. feels like I should be getting in my car, driving over to Davis Wade for Mississippi State versus Kentucky or something. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for a little warmer. Maybe even I mean, a you, lot warmer. It's kind of hard to get on way. the lake when it's like this. Just <laughs> 10 more. 10 more degrees for you, Borky? Yeah, I mean, my phone says 61. It was warmer than that when I was walking into the studio. 10 more degrees is perfect. Fair enough. You're only sweating when you're active when it's like 71, 72. And you can still do lake stuff. You can still sit by the pool. And you can still have fires at night. Perfect. Yeah, you can sit by the pool, but you can't get in the pool unless you have a heated pool when it's only 71. Yeah, true that. Or you can tough yeah. it up. Uh, Rippy, you always love weighing in on the weather topics. Yeah, it's perfect. Actually, it's about 15 degrees away from perfect, but I'll take it. It's not raining. Yeah. You got that right. I got to be honest. H- have you had... And I'm, it's kind of a collective view. Have, have you guys had this? If you're listening, have you had it? You can text us on the C Spire text line. Have you had that point where you just kind of said, okay, enough, I've had enough, that's it, let's get this thing back to normal? I, I had that today. It was around lunchtime. I was working on a couple of projects at Jane's store and kind of in and out a little bit, and... It was just like, you know what? Enough. It's time to get back to life as normal. Now, I know we can't just jump in and get back to it the way it always was. There's obviously a lot of stuff that's got to happen. But today was really the first day, and we're, what, a month, five, six weeks into this, however long it's been now. 
feels like a year, but it's been about a month. But today was the first day where I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. We've got to get back to normal. Yeah, I thought that, that on March 12th. <laughs> <laughs> the day after it started? Yeah, wasn't a big fan from the jump. Well, I've never been a big fan of it. That's not what I'm saying, but it's like, okay, I get it. You know, we're dealing with it, but at the same time, today was I don't I don't know what it was about today, but it was like it's time. We got to move on. Uh, I know we can't just pick up and move on. I understand that. Uh, C Spire text line, absolutely ready for it to be over. Need sports. I agree on sports, but I'm not even talking specifically about sports. I mean, sports is going to take a little while longer. I'm talking about people going back to work and businesses being open. And, and, and I'm not even suggesting that they have to be open the way they were open, where it's just like all rules are off. But, I mean, it feels like we're approaching the point where, you know, you could open some businesses. Let's still practice social distancing. Let's make sure that we've got hand sanitizer and that business owners are regularly using Lysol when people are in and out. And let's take some precautions. But, man, I don't know. No, I'm with you. I I was thinking that um, I'm having an impossible time finding paper towels. And with a almost six-month-old, I need a lot of paper towels. And I just can't find them anywhere. And I had that thought this morning is if we are all wearing, just wear masks and gloves and stuff, we could get past where we are right now, right? As long as we are all protecting ourselves and because we're protecting ourselves, we're also protecting each other, we could slowly unravel back to normalcy. And like you said, it may take a while and we'll still have to have the markings on the floor in the grocery store that say, if you're in line, stop here. And it, somebody behind you should stop at this mark. And like you'll still have to do all those things. But I need to get my cell phone repaired, for example. It's just, it crashes at random times constantly. And I can't go get that right now. But I was thinking, if I can go to the grocery store with a mask and gloves on, and everybody else around me has that too, I feel comfortable in that setting, why could I not feel comfortable and protected also getting my phone worked on? Yeah. And I get that they're all there's all kinds of stuff that has to be done. I mean, and again, maybe it's a, a phased reopening where when you're talking about retail businesses, if it's, you know, a small shop, I, I've just used my wife's store as an example, but, you know, maybe you can only have, you know, four customers or six customers in there at a time. Uh, as opposed to just open the doors and there are 30 people inside. Not not that it's usually like that anyway. Or if you're at a restaurant, maybe you tell restaurant owners that say, hey, we're going to open, but you can only be at half capacity. You, you can't, you've got to be every other table. It can't be, you know, one table next to the other, next to the other, next to the other. I, I don't know. Um, and if you listen to the governor's press conference, he's obvious, or press conferences, he's obviously talked about the need to as quickly and as safely as we can kind of reopen the economy and try and get things back to normal, but you got to be careful. Uh, and he certainly began his press conference today by talking about this is kind of the most difficult time. We're, we're trending in the right direction, we're moving in the right direction, but we're not there yet, and you've got to bear down for a little while longer. As it sits right now, the stay-at-home order is set to expire on Monday, uh, the 20th of April at 8 a.m., I'm going to be fascinated to see if uh, if there is an extension of that stay-at-home order for the state of Mississippi or if uh, they're going to allow it to be lifted. Uh, I, Borky, I mean, 
I mean, this is nothing more than pure speculation, right? So don't don't say, well, Richard said this is what's going to happen because it's nothing more than a guess. But my guess is that they're going to extend this stay-at-home order for a little while longer. Do, do you guys think I'm crazy on that? Am I off base on that? Or, or do you think that maybe they lift it on Monday? No, it feels like we're headed in that direction. I don't, and just like you, just in anticipation, a, a guess, um, I, I don't anticipate them starting to unravel, so to speak, until we have not just plateaued, but we are seeing a significant decline in number of new cases and, and all that stuff. We have plateaued. The, the news has been good for the last 10 days or so on that front. Largely good. Uh, but until it starts going the opposite direction, clearly across the board, I don't expect there to be an unraveling. We get a message here that says, Yay, so glad you guys are catching up with everyone else that's tired of this crap. They should cancel everything and open all businesses back up now. I, is that No, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yes, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. No, no. Uh, yes, I am tired of this crap. Yes, I am ready for things to get back to normal. But just saying, hey, pretend like this never happened. Never mind. Just scratch that. Let's go back to how it was. I, I think that's probably a really bad plan as well. I mean, it, we've, we've got to be smart in the way that we go about this. Uh, Richard and Wiggins says if you're going crazy, then you should run naked around the house. It makes him feel better. I would not advise that if you are in, um, I don't know, a neighborhood. Like, Borky, yeah. you live in a neighborhood. Running around naked around your house, probably not the best idea. I had one of those moments huh? today where, um, since I've cleared what, so what, much brush... What, wait, wait, what? what? You I'll, had I'll a moment of running around the house naked? Go ahead, Borky. Sort of. Um, where I've cleared so much brush in my backyard that my neighbors now can, if they're in the right spot, could see over our fence, like into our house now, because it's not... Uh, just a forest back there anymore. But I was in the shower getting ready to come here, and my wife opened the curtains in our bedroom, and she doesn't do that all that often. And you can look from my neighbor's, my two neighbors' backyard Whoop. into my house, and I walk out of the shower, and I just throw a towel in the rack, and I'm walking into my bedroom. I turn and look, and there's the sun beaming on me, and I can yeah. see right into my neighbor's backyards. Luckily, no one was out there, but ugh, I had a moment there. Don't, don't you live in that? Don't you live in Madison, Bork? You just put a pineapple on your front porch. Everybody will know what's going on there. It'll be all right. Easy. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> hey, Dad, I think there was an imaginary line there, and you didn't just, like, tiptoe to the what? edge of it. The you, pineapple you joke is over the line? Right. Yeah, I think you just pole vaulted right over the line into you can't uh, go there territory. I disagree. Except you did. <laughs> Except you did. Hey, Dad, you live in a neighborhood also, right? I do. I do. Yeah, I would, I would say that like the the minimum amount of acreage necessary for you to feel comfortable just getting in the nude and going for a run around the house is probably, uh, oh, I don't know, what, 25, 30, 40 acres? Yeah, I mean, you need to be able, if you can throw a football and hit your, ne your next door neighbor's house, you're probably not good. Yeah. Yeah. I live next the my, my bedroom window uh, if if I were to open it right next door is this old Russian couple. So I don't know. I don't know. It might reenact the Cold War if I uh walked around naked like that. This conversation just got uncomfortable, didn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm just saying. You you started this. You're talking to to Richard Richard from Wiggins.
He Richard started and Wiggins. Richard's the one that suggested it. Yes, it's way uh, to go. Yeah. Um, if uh, you want to be part of the conversation, you can uh, you can do that on the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. One gentleman says, I work at an essential business in in, uh, Tupelo. We've remained open during this whole crisis with over 100 people in a building, some days 150 plus, and we have had zero COVID cases. It can be done. Um, Yeah, I felt comfortable. Uh, I was looking for paper towels, didn't find any, ended up going to a big box store and and taking – uh, a box full of the, like the restaurant rolls were in those big ones, and that's just what we'll have to do. But I I felt comfortable because it seemed like everyone around me. I mean, every single person in the place had a mask on, and and most all had gloves on. And I felt maybe it's just an illusion, but I felt more comfortable today than I have since this started being out in public because everybody was like me. I will say today that Jackson Avenue felt like business as normal in Oxford. So if you've if you've ever been to Oxford, that's the uh, the main street that's on the west side of town. Kind of runs from the western edge of town, where Highway Six kind of dumps into town, all the way back to um, you know it runs all the way to the square. And that portion of Jackson Avenue, where you've got a you know chain restaurants and local businesses and big box stores and all of that kind of you know, up and down. It looks like any street in any town in America, there was plenty of traffic that was uh, was there today. Uh, hey, Dad, what's it like in Starkville? Have you noticed traffic? Have you been out enough to feel like, okay, some days it feels like nobody's out, and other days it's like people have just said, okay, I've had enough, I'm going out? I, honestly, I haven't made many trips beyond my home in the studio. Uh, since all this started, so as far as like going downtown, I t- I took a kid to the uh, orthodontist the other day, and talking about nine o'clock in the morning, driving through Main Street, it wasn't a whole lot of traffic or anything. So, for the most part, I I, I really can't say, but my experiences, I haven't seen a whole lot of traffic. Yeah, yeah. I do think for the most part that people are being smart, right? I mean, uh, Borky, yeah. you you said you felt comfortable. I know we've said that a couple of times. Uh, I, I feel like people have kind of handled this the way that they're supposed to in the uh, the limited number of times that I've had to go to the grocery store. Uh, I think Borky, you mentioned the other day, like you don't want to you don't want to be that guy that feels like you're veering away from somebody because it just kind of innately feels rude. But people are like gently veering away and kind of keeping that distance between them and. Uh, you know, it's like if somebody's, uh, I had to run to a hardware store today and like somebody was in the aisle looking in the section where I had to go to get something. And so I just had to kind of stand back and wait until they were done and kind of step to the side and they stepped to the side walking away. And then I was able to go in and get what I needed and, and kind of move on. So, um, is that going to continue moving forward? Is the way we interact socially going to change? Are we going to go back to shaking hands with people? Or are we going to be a, a fist bump or an elbow bump society or just kind of a nod your head, tip your cap, say hello, and not really need any you know, physical interaction regardless? I've thought about that a lot and just what, what this will do to societal trends. I mean, even if we get the all clear, right, just everything's good to go, we all have a vaccine even, Maybe some people still won't go to football games anymore, for example. I've wondered how much of an impact that will have. Uh, truthfully, I hope we don't stop shaking hands. I have a 
My dad always taught me from the very beginning, when you meet someone, you look them dead in the eye, you shake their hand, you say nice to meet you no matter who it is. And it's a value that I've, I appreciate when somebody does it to me. And I want my son to do the same thing. And I, I hope that doesn't go away it, once everything settles back down. It's yeah, a respect thing. I'm going to oh, no, give you I, all I, a big hug when, I, I, when we see each other next, just so you know. Big hug. I don't mind the fist bump or elbow bump. I think the handshake may be dead for a while. I tend to agree with you. that uh, I mean, I think it will make a comeback, but uh, I don't think people are going to be just like, hey, although there is the awkward, somebody wants to shake your hand, and you're like, eh, eh. It's like, oh, okay. It's kind of like when you get caught in between shaking somebody's hand and fist bumping them in the first place. You're not sure exactly uh, exactly how you're supposed to handle that. We are going to get to what Dr. Anthony Fauci had to say about sports. Borky, are we taking a break here or are we just rolling on through? Uh, we are taking a break here. Okay. So that's coming up in, uh, in just a second. ESPN and lots of others have got the story as well. When are we going to get sports back? What's it going to look like when we get sports back, et cetera, Etc. Well, Dr. Fauci, and you know, maybe you agree with everything he says, maybe you're a little bit skeptical, but he is one of the leading voices in getting through all of this. He had some thoughts on how we get back to sports sooner rather than later. We'll get to that next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. So let's get into the quotes, the story from Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is the, I guess, leading medical voice and the president's advisor on coronavirus. Uh, Works, uh, what, in infectious diseases and asthma. And he was talking about how sports can get back. He says the only way professional sports will happen this summer is by holding events without fans in attendance and by keeping players in hotels. He talked with um, what Peter Hamby of Snapchat as part of a week-long interview series, and here's what he said. There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put the players in big hotels, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled. Have them tested every single week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. He did go on to say, if you could get on television, Major League Baseball, to start July 4th. Let's say nobody comes to the stadium. You just you do it. I mean, people say, well, you can't play without spectators. Well, I think you'd probably get enough buy-in from people who are dying to see a baseball game, particularly me. I'm living in Washington. We have the world champion Washington Nationals. You know, I want to see them play again. But there's a way of doing that because there have been some proposals, both at the level of the NFL, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, to get these people tested and to put them in big hotels, wherever you want to play, have them tested like every week, buy a gazillion tests, and make sure they don't wind up, again, infecting each other or their family, and just let them play the season out. He says that's a really artificial way to do it, but when you think about it, it might be better than nothing. What do you make of that? 
Well, he's exactly right on the people uh, would watch it thing. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. In spite of what that survey, that 700 people survey said, I think if baseball comes back, the viewership numbers would be massive. But I think what everybody's missing here, and Rippy and I talked about it a little bit this morning, is that when something like this comes out, and you saw it again today, the reaction is, oh my gosh, can we just worry about getting everybody tested before we worry about baseball coming back? And if people would just like click links and, and read stories, they would see that this doesn't happen unless, like he said, there are testing readily available for everybody. That's why the NBA and that's why Major League Baseball, and I assume very soon the NFL is going to jump in on this as well, are investing heavily in getting widespread, rampant, readily available testing for everyone so they can do this without it optically looking bad. And also because I assume they want to help people. They're not all money hungry. But this doesn't happen unless testing is readily available. So if that's your counter, then you need to read a little bit more. If you're testing people regularly, you can control... Who has it, who doesn't, and can control your players and can control the people that are interacting with your players and put these games on if there is access, readily available testing. And that's what they're working on doing. This doesn't happen without it. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. He's also exactly right about one other thing. It's better than nothing. At this point, I think the majority of sports fans will take, if there's a game on, fans or not, they're going to watch the TV money will definitely be there. This also probably nixes the no vaccine, no sports tagline that people have been throwing out there for a while. Lonnie in Guntown says Lincoln Riley said we'll play in the parking lot if we have to. I mean, I think you that's what you want. I mean, right? Players play ball. Football players play football. Baseball players play baseball. Golfers play golf. It's what they want to do. It's their living and if you're talking about college athletes, it's not necessarily their living, but it's what they do and what they are accustomed to, and it's what they want to do. That That's what gives them normalcy in life. I mean, in, in the same way that going to work creates normalcy, kids going to school creates routine and creates normalcy, if, if you play sports, whether it's pro- professionally or at the collegiate level, it's it's part of who you are. It's part of your makeup. And right, wrong, or indifferent, and there's some that would disagree with what I'm going to say here. And, and, and so if you disagree, that's fine. But people's self-worth, in a lot of cases, is maybe not self-worth. Self-worth may not be the right way to describe it. People's identity is wrapped up in what they do. You know, you, you hope that you're at the point where you say, okay, Hosting a sports talk radio show is what I do. It's not who I am. But a lot of my identity is in what I do. And I think that's the case for people that play college baseball or college basketball or college football or professional sports. Yes, it's their job. Maybe it's not who they are, but it is what they do, and it's a big part of their identity, and it's normal and everybody just wants to get back, even if it's inconvenient for a while. If it's not exactly the way we're used to or exactly the way we want it, better than nothing, maybe something for a little while.
back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey rolling into the 4 o'clock hour on this Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Seaspire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. With Seaspire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually, and more all over secure cloud-based solutions with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at cspire.com slash business. So we were talking about the uh, the story that is out there from Anthony Fauci, who is the infectious diseases doctor and chair of the, what the National Asthma Institute. I may not have said that exactly right. Let's play this thing forward, though, for a second. So he was talking specifically about pro sports and the idea of playing professional sports without fans. Baseball, uh, he alluded to baseball, football and hockey he did not mention the nba which you would think kind of moving toward an nba playoff type atmosphere you would be dealing with actually fewer players fewer people than trying to get an entire major league baseball season going or entire nfl season going do you guys think anything happens with the nba or do you think the nba season is done today would have been the final day of the regular season I don't think anything's done, really. Now, it's becoming increasingly less likely that they will finish out the final 15 games or so, but if they can get started sometime in June, they could play maybe not the full regular season, but they could play regular season games and then the playoffs for sure. If they get started in July, they can play a full playoff. So sometime in June would be the target date. I know there's reporting out there that Basically, this time next month is when they'll make a decision on how to move forward. But if they if they can start by June, then, yeah, they can finish out the regular season and playoffs. Borky, I hate to say this to you with your Zion shirt on and with your winners and losers from the weekend about uh, the Pelicans making the run and having the magical finish. I don't think we're seeing any more regular season basketball for the NBA. Yeah, maybe not, but if they start in June, you will. June's normally when the playoffs are ending, though. Yeah, but they're not fitting at any time frame now. I mean, they got through pretty much into August, probably. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they even stretched it longer than that. I mean, what if football gets delayed a few weeks, you know? Um, Well, problem with that is I don't know what they're going to do about the start of next season, but you go to training They're starting next season at the end of December. That's what's happening. I, I I can almost guarantee you that. Really? Yep. You've been like on the phone with Adam Silver or <laughs> No, I I use my brain and apply my brain no, to I just, real life when, situations. When you, when you start dropping guarantees in this time of uncertainty, I'm just wondering where uh, where you went for the info. That's, uh, the, that's like groundbreaking. I've read enough and listened to enough to where there is the motivation and the motivation's been there for a little while, and now this is the catalyst to, to make it happen. And also, if you are going to play playoffs that end 
in the summer, late summer, your turnaround to start the season in October just doesn't make sense. I mean, these guys need an offseason after, what, playing 45, 50, 60 games and then taking a three-month break and then doing training camp again and then playing some and then the playoff and then taking a month and coming back. They'd need an offseason. So that that is going to happen. I, I guess you could make the argument that, uh, guys, sorry, I know this may mess up your vacation plans, but you had your off season. It was in March and yeah. April and the first half of May. Uh, we're going to finish up the regular season, and uh, you'll get a couple of weeks off, and then we're going to roll right back into a new year. I, maybe there would be some pushback on that. I, I, I don't know. But spinning this forward to college football. I mean, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, is saying, I mean, maybe we could be playing baseball by the 4th of July if it's in empty stadiums. I don't think there is any interest. No, I won't say any interest. I think there is little interest in playing a college football season in empty stadiums. Now, I could see a scenario where you are required to play in partially full stadiums if indeed you do have fans that are allowed in. Maybe there's some percentage of capacity. Maybe you're only allowed to sell, you know, 60% of your capacity in terms of tickets so that people can spread out and not be shoulder to shoulder in a stadium. I, I don't know. Um, doesn't it feel at this point like we are trending toward a later start for the college football season? Like, we get an entire college football season, but there's no way that it starts on September 5th. Seems well, most kids, likely. What if you get kids back on campus sometime in July, then wouldn't you pretty much have a normal off? Not normal, but you would have the time frame to get it done in a relatively normal amount of time. I think it became abundantly clear. We're going to get into this in the college football fix about an hour from now. There was a conference call today with uh, Vice President Pence, who is the chair of the president's COVID-19 task force, and um, the management committee of the college football playoff. And that was made up of conference commissioners and uh, the athletics director from Notre Dame and a few other people. And Bob Bowlesby basically came out of this saying, as did the athletic director at Notre Dame. Um, why can I not think of his name right now off the top of my head? Um, Kevin White? No, he's at Duke. Oh, wasn't he at Notre Dame? He was at Notre Dame. Uh, jo- okay. uh, Swarbrick. Okay. Jack Swarbrick at Notre Dame. Basically, they came out of this saying, we're not playing football if kids aren't back in school. And so if you're a college football fan and you want to see the college football season happen, then the thing that you need to be pulling for more than anything else is classes starting at the end of August or the beginning of September, depending on where you are in school, or you know, in terms of the calendar. I think, you know, we've been talking about this so much from a football standpoint. Oh, you need football to happen for the revenue purposes of the athletics department. True statement. You know what else you need? For the financial well-being of the universities, which, yes, operate as not-for-profits, but they got to have money, and they got to have lots of money to make those places work. 
They need students badly on campus. And so we're talking, okay, what if you can push the football season back? Well, what if you're scheduled to start the new academic year, the fall academic semester, on August 20th? Do you think we're going to start hearing schools making arrangements saying, we're going to push the start of the fall semester back to September 15th? And if you think about it, most schools right now, I mean, let's just use Ole Miss and Mississippi State as an example. The last week of school is the first week of December. Like, finals happen the first week of December, and everybody's gone by, like, December 10th at the latest. So if you push back the start of the fall semester a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, if you needed that amount of extra time, and then you just pushed it back into, you know, you, you get to go home the week before Christmas, like everybody else in the free world does. Um, I just wonder if that if that's something that's on the table, if that's something that's being discussed. Because well, universities like, need students on their campuses. But how much difference is that three weeks really going to make? Could be all. I don't know. Could it be all the difference in the world? I mean, that's basically the quarantine period that we assign people. I mean, so theoretically, a two-week window is a big deal. No, I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but like, if you still have this problem, is it going to be gone three weeks later? Well, I guess the point that I'm making is if you're trending toward things getting better and getting better and getting better and you could buy yourself two or three extra weeks, would that be enough time to kind of get you over the hump? Yeah, I guess that's what I'm asking. I mean, your idea makes sense. I was just curious, like, it'd be interesting to see where we are at that point and, like, how significant that chunk of time is. Yeah. So many questions, so few answers. Maybe that's the maybe that's the point that we really need to be looking for, right? So, so it's like we're looking for benchmarks in time. If we can get to a point where we can get actual answers to some of the questions we have as opposed to just eh, a lot of conjecture, maybe that's when we're starting to make some progress. Sports Talk Mississippi. Welcome again to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Great to be with you on... This Wednesday afternoon, a lot going on right now. We are scheduled to visit with Nikki McCray-Pinson and uh, are expecting to hear from her shortly. New head basketball coach on the women's side of things at Mississippi State. And uh, if that happens, we will get it to you just momentarily on the Farm Bureau phone line. Small local businesses are going through difficult times right now. You know that. There are some things that you can do to help. Uh, remember, maybe the most important thing is to buy local. You can buy gift cards. Local businesses get help from you today. Plus, you'll be able to use them whenever things kind of return to normal. You can also order takeout or get curbside pickup from your favorite local restaurants. There's a new webpage to help you find a great locally owned restaurant that does delivery or carry out in your area. Go to supertalk.fm slash eats, E-A-T-S. Tons of options for you all across the state, 
and we are adding to that list regularly. Little compassion can go a long way. Um, hey, Dad, we we had the news bay break basically last week that Nikki McCray Pinson was going to be named the new head basketball coach for women's basketball at Mississippi State, and then it became official over the weekend. Now with a few days to kind of digest this, what's been the reaction? What's the level of excitement uh, for a new head coach on the heels of so much success under Vic Schaefer? If my social media mentions are any uh, indication, they're very high. There's a lot of uh, excitement about her hire. Uh, a lot of people are, are buying in. I think part of that is tied into the fact that it appears that the team has bought into her. Uh, they, all of them have showed up on social media saying, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm locked in, we're, we're, we're ready to roll. So knowing what Mississippi State brings back next year, I think there's a, a lot of excitement among the fan base. In terms of as a player, uh, Nikki McRae did just about everything you could do. Played four years at Tennessee, uh, a decorated career professionally, uh, two Olympic gold medals, was on Team USA that won Olympic gold in the Atlanta Games in 1996, and then again in Sydney, Australia in 1990. Between those two gold medals, won a uh, gold medal with Germany is a uh, in the World Championships as well. And uh, from there, continued to play professional basketball for a while before making the uh, transition into the coaching world. And hey, Dad, you pointed this out earlier that um, you know th- there's some people that would start that coaching career track sooner, but because she played for so long, um, it was a little bit later. So 2006, seven and eight, an assistant coach at Western Kentucky, a couple of years, uh, actually about a decade, as an assistant coach. At, uh, at South Carolina on Dawn Staley's staff there, part of a national championship, and for the last three years, the head coach at Old Dominion. And then earlier this week, named Mississippi State's head women's basketball coach, Nikki McCray Pinson, is on the Farm Bureau phone line right now. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Nikki, appreciate a few minutes of your time. Uh, congratulations on the new gig. I, I guess I always kind of default to this question when we talk to a coach that just took a new job. Why this job right now? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I'm so blessed that um, I am the head coach at um, Mississippi State. And right now, because I am, I'm ready. And um, I think I have put myself in a position, especially, you know, having played in this league, having coached alongside of the best coach in America for nine years in this league at South Carolina. In order to get back, you know, to, you know, a job like this, you have to be a head coach. And I was fortunate enough to to be a head coach at Old Dominion, which is a, a historic program, rich in tradition and um, I think, you know, this, this program here at Old Dominion is very attractive now because of what we've been able to accomplish in the last three years. And um, and now to be able to lead a program like Mississippi State, um, continue the success that the program has had, um, it, 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 it warms my heart. And um, I'm excited about what Vic has done there. It's been amazing. Um, I mean, it's a national brand, and the players there are already good. Now it's just coming in and sustaining success. But all of my experience from playing to coaching, all the coaches that I've been blessed to be around, I'm just going to take all those experiences and, and carry carry it with me. And, and the job is to win a national championship, and I'm able to be associated with a program where those expect that is expected and the pieces are there for us to do it. 
I'm curious about how this transition is going to be different from you, going from assistant coach to head coach for the first time at Old Dominion, and that was a program where you needed to kind of rebuild things, and it was slow that first year, but then back-to-back 20-win seasons, whereas now the transition is from a, a program where you had built it to a program that has had success at the highest level, and the only thing really that is missing now is a, a national championship at Mississippi State. How is that transition from Old Dominion to Mississippi State different than when you transitioned South Carolina to Old Dominion? Well, I think, you know, anybody that knows me is that, you know, in everything that I do, I attack it relentlessly. It doesn't matter what it is, whether, you know, it was our time at South Carolina building that program. It was my time going to Old Dominion building that program. And now it's my, my time here to sustain, sustaining success. I think when you're a competitor and, you know, and you want to win national championships and that's what you're accustomed to doing, um, it's just what you do. And it's just about building relationships now with those players um, and continuing to get them to um, understand why they came to Mississippi State. Obviously, relationships um, with coaches is important, but the fan base, everything about Mississippi State, um, everything about the support staff, that is why they came. Nikki McCray-Pinson on your radio. She's on the Farm Bureau phone line, new head women's basketball coach at uh, at Mississippi State. You're obviously coming in at a, a unique time, not just in basketball, but in our country's history, that we're dealing with this global pandemic. How difficult is it for you right now that you can't just jump in and immediately hit the ground running and be with your players and start to get to know them and start to kind of lay all the groundwork for what you want to do? Well, since we are in unprecedented time, the biggest thing is now we have Zoom, we have FaceTime, all of those things that still allows us to develop, you know, the relationships, which is really key for us right now. And um, because of what what our country is going through. And, you know, again, I just want to, you know, I keep saying that I'm just so thankful and just want to give a shout out to the first responders and the healthcare, you know, workers that continue to put their lives on the line every day for us, um, because that is real. Uh, but we are in, in uncharted territory. But for me and my, for, for me and our players, it's really building that relationship. Um, we can still do some things um, to where we can still get some things in. We just can't do it physically. Where yeah. I would normally have them, we would be practicing right now. We, we would be doing individual workouts right now, breakdowns of stuff. But um, now that's that's just more FaceTime and Zoom. Nikki, i got to ask you about this. We've only got a couple of minutes left. One of the things that I think women's basketball has done a really good job of is nurturing rivalries. You know, we, we think about scheduling, and sometimes it's years in advance if you're talking about college football, and maybe even sometimes that's the case on the men's side. But I feel like when a rivalry emerges in women's basketball, uh, the, the powers that be take advantage of it, whether that's Tennessee versus UConn or uh, yeah. you know, Notre Dame against Stanford. There may not be a better rivalry, though, in women's college basketball right now, the Mississippi State, South Carolina, and not a ton, a ton of love loss. You're now going to be on the opposite side of the rivalry. What's that going to be like for you? Well, number one, I just have so much respect for, you know, Dawn, her staff, and obviously South Carolina. I mean, I was there for nine years and, you know, just saw the blueprint of what it takes, you know, to build a program, build a program into a national powerhouse. Um, you know, obviously – you know, Vic came here and did the same thing in such a short amount of time. And, you know, for me, you know, that's what you want. You know, I'm in this league because this is one of the best 
you know, leagues in the country, night in and night out. You know, I get to coach against some of the best coaches in the country. We get our players get to play against some of the best players in the country, and that's what you play for. You want to compete and play against the best every night. We're going to win national championships. We want to win um, SEC championships. This is the best league. We have to go through the best. Well, certainly uh, there, there's a great challenge that's there, but uh, I know it makes for an exciting time for uh, for you as well. Any idea when you're able to kind of get into Starkville and get settled? I mean, I mean, I know there's a ton of unknown right now, yeah. but just in terms of a blueprint of what you hope to have happen. You know, for me, it's it, you know, I just I'm going to continue to follow safety guidelines. You know, I'm always put my family first. Um, you know, the university is closed, so there's really nothing I can do other than get there and sit in a house. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I I have to find a house. That's number one. I have to find a school, you know, for my son. And, you know, we, we want to get into the community. We're ready to be in the community so we can get settled. Um, but it's just we're in times right now that just doesn't allow us to do that. And um, so, you know, when it's safe, I, I definitely will you know, definitely get down to Starkville and be ready to, to rock and roll. Absolutely. Well, Nikki, we look forward to visiting with you in uh, in the weeks and months and years to come. Congratulations again, and uh, all the best to you. Be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's Nikki McCray-Pinson, new head women's basketball coach at Mississippi State, named officially over the weekend coming to Starkville from Old Dominion, where she has led them to -to back-to-back 20-win seasons. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be back with you right after this. Hey, Morty, how about a poll question on this Wednesday? Yeah, in honor of the story that we are about to cover, will you watch more golf than usual if it is the first sport back or comes back in June as scheduled? Okay. Will you watch more golf than usual? Hey, Dad, you don't watch a lot of golf, do you? No. It's the first sport back, will you? Yes. You, You will watch more than you would have otherwise? Yes. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Rippy, you watch a lot of golf as it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna watch. I'd gotten probably worse about it this year. Like, I wasn't really plugged into the PG, early part of the PGA Tour season for whatever reasons. But yes, yeah. I will definitely watch. So, a story from Golf Digest yesterday. Brian Wacker wrote the story. And there's actually a little bit of pushback from some other golf writers who are like, hey, congratulations on doing a really good job digging. I just don't believe your story is true. I thought that was kind of a – I mean, Alan Shipnook's a really good writer, but I thought that was an interesting take. He he went with the, I haven't read your story yet, but it's hard for me to believe that blah, 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 blah. Come, come on, man. Why are you going to knock the guy that did the work and then start your tweet by, I haven't read the story, but – I'm starting to get sick of certain groups of sports media people, man. Every day it's something new. Every single day. There's no free food to complain about. Got to supplement it with something else. And I (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, yeah, I had people (laughs) ask me on Twitter, where does it come from? 
And I guess they're just miserable people mostly. But like today, for example, this Fauci story made headlines everywhere because he said um, on Snapchat with... The it's a CNN reporter, by the way, that's doing this Snapchat series for whatever it's worth okay. to you. But asked him specifically about getting baseball back, and he says, "Yeah, if they do it, uh, put them up in a hotel, and and they get tested often, they can do it that way." The same day that those headlines are, are making their circulation, super smart sports reporter is on Twitter saying, "Oh, that would never work. They can't do that. That idea won't work." A five-decade-long run as one of the most foremost infectious disease doctors in the world is telling you it can happen, but you, the baseball reporter, is saying that it can't. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like a Facebook on a grander scale. It's, we, we, everybody's become an expert on this topic, <laughs> despite I, having uh, no background in it whatsoever. I pointed this out earlier on a podcast, but... If this is actually able to happen and they do start with the now Charles Schwab uh, in June in Fort Worth, golf would likely end up being the sport least affected by this whole pandemic because if they're able, now whether they're able to finish all this out remains to be seen, but you'll get 20-some-odd events, three of the four majors, and a Ryder Cup. Like Given that this was a global pandemic that stopped everything, I would call that a pretty pretty huge win for golf if they're able to pull this off the story from golf digest pga tour officials are expected to announce this week their intention to resume the tour season halted due to covid19 on june 11th at the charles schwab challenge multiple sources have told golf digest it's also expected that fans will not be allowed to attend that first tournament at colonial country club in fort worth as the tour looks to follow health and safety guidelines set by government and health officials, other early tournaments are also expected to be played without spectators. So here is the proposed schedule that was reported by Golf Digest last night. You start uh, on that June 11th tournament with the Charles Schwab Challenge at uh, Colonial in Fort Worth, and then you have an open date. And then June 25th, the Travelers Championship. That's at TPC River Highlands in Connecticut. I See, I wonder a little bit about some of these Northeast tournaments because the outbreak seems to have been a little more severe there. But we'll see. I'm not trying to uh, discount the reporting, just kind of editorializing as we go. Uh, July 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th in Detroit, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. That is moved from late May. It was originally in late May. The John Deere Classic keeps its original date, July 9th through the 12th, and my guess would be the John Deere Classic will have, if it is played, the best field that it has ever had. Because normally that is the lead-in to the Open Championship. And you got a bunch of the top golfers in the world that are already in Scotland or Ireland or you know somewhere in the UK getting ready for the British Open, and then they always make a big deal of the private plane that where they put all the golfers on that compete in the John Deere and ship them over for the Open Championship. With there not being an Open Championship, they might have a great field this year. You also have a little bit of wiggle room with the two open dates where two majors would have been and nothing going on. That is correct. 
You're right about that. The Memorial, which is Jack's tournament, Jack Nicholas's tournament in Ohio, right outside of Columbus at Muirfield Village, will now be played July 16th through the 19th. It was originally early June. The Twin Cities, TPC Twin Cities uh, outside of Minneapolis, the 3M Open will stay in its original date in late July. The World Golf Championship event in Memphis, the FedEx St. Jude Invitational, originally was scheduled July 2nd through the 5th. That's now when the Rocket Mortgage Classic is going to be played. Memphis will get its tournament July 30th through August 2nd. Hey, Dad, it will not be the... um, we will not have the weather forecast that you were talking earlier about liking so much. That's a shame. July 30 to August 2nd in lovely Memphis, Tennessee, it will be hotter than the hinges of Hades. But that's okay. Golf tournament in the south. And wear shorts, it'll be all right. There will be an opposite field event that week as well. It's happening out in uh, in Tahoe at the uh, Barracuda Championship. So those are kind of the events leading up to the stuff that was released last week. PGA the first week in August. Uh, Playoff starts the third week in August. Tour Championship first weekend of September. U.S. Open September 17th at Winged Foot in New York. We'll see. Ryder Cup September 25th, 26th, 27th at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. Masters November twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth. If you're and I'm not saying you're discounting it, but if you're saying we'll see to that, then a PGA in August in California would have to be a double we'll see, won't it? Yes, I would agree with that. I don't think the PGA it happens in August in California. Unless unless they're willing to play a major a with no fans. It. Do what? Go ahead and slap a guarantee on it. Oh, Borky style? I don't know if it will or not. The idea of fans seems unlikely. A major championship without fans would be really, really something. It would. I mean, that's a great setting. TPC Harding Park there in San Francisco. I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think golf could survive that more than other sports because you look at like the NCAA match play finals or the you know, USAM and stuff like that. And it's not a perfect example because those have crowds, but they don't have crowds near the size of major championships. And still from a viewing experience, and I guess it's partly because it's match play and it's different, like you can still kind of feel the drama and intrigue. I think it would suffer less than other sports. Ryder Cup with a crowd or without a crowd? September 25th, 26th, 27th in Wisconsin. Borky fans or no fans for the Ryder Cup? End of September. Mm. I'm going to say no. Just to guess. I'll be the optimist, yes. I think they can get fans to that. Okay. I I certainly hope so. But we'll see. I mean, you can do the whole social distancing thing with golfers and really not have an issue. When you roll forty or fifty thousand people that are going to be shoulder to shoulder, six deep along the fairway, you know, wanting to see every shot that Tiger hits or Rory hits, then your social distancing deal has gone out the window. Maybe there's a mandatory people have to wear masks. Is that a possibility? I think that's going to be norm uh, for a little while. But that's a great point because you have, speaking of people that have bothered me today, 
uh, you have a growing number of people that have the sentiment, if it's not safe for the player, or if it's not safe for fans, it's not safe for players either, and the event shouldn't happen. As if being a a golfer in a tournament is the same as being elbow to elbow with a few thousand people. I I don't understand where that's coming from either. And on top of that, apply it to basketball or even football. You know where the players have been, or you can control that. You can control if they've been tested. You can control if they have symptoms. You can you know where they are, and, and where they've been, and who they come in contact with. You can't do that with the fans. That that principle is too simple. Once you peel back the layers a little bit, that doesn't add up either. If it's not safe for fans, it's not safe for players. You can play golf safely right now, let alone months from now. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Take a quick time out and be back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Or as Borky likes to call it, Groundhog Day. It is Wednesday. What if it's tax day today? It's today. That's all it is. Yeah. And today would have been tax day, and yet that uh, got pushed back as well. So I got the hey, old stimulus have... uh, thing on tax day. Does that mean anything? So you got you got a stimulus check today? Yeah, I did. Congratulations. Have you stimulated the economy yet? I went. I actually went and bought groceries, but that had more so to do that it was also payday. It was a great morning. Yeah. Yeah. There you Same go. here. What um, what what's your plan for your stimulus money? Xbox or PlayStation? Are you like immediately? I think so. Well, both the people I live with have one, so I'm just chilling, watching you know the late night Shark Tanks after they make their way to play video games. I've got the PS3, but that's pretty outdated at this point, and I hadn't plugged it in in a while. Hey, Dad, what are you gonna do with your stimulus money? Uh, I don't know. Probably nothing. In, nothing too big with it right now. Yeah. No. Yeah. No immediate purchase. No. No. no yeah, well, plans yeah. to stimulate the economy. Not. Not too much. No. Go, going to pick up some dinner tonight after I get out of here. Maybe that's it. I don't think that'll Borky. be the whole check, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> you could try. Yeah. <laughs> give, give it a shot. We will eat like kings and queens. Uh, Borky, you said you didn't get yours today? Have not gotten mine yet. Uh, I'm starting to to wonder. Maybe you won't. Oh, I'm going to. Trust me. There you go. I mean, what I can't quite figure out is this year was the first time I filed my taxes through the mail. But I did it probably eight weeks ago. Seven, eight weeks ago. Through the mail. Yeah, I mailed them. You didn't in. e-file them? No, I had I had somebody do them for me. I don't they think it's based to on e-file that. Them. Well, he suggested we send them in the mail, and so we mailed them in. Um, he must be old. Pony school. Express? I I don't know. He must be old school. I, hey, okay. he uh, he got me a lot right. more money than I got last year. So um, there you go. Yeah, I had to write a check last year. That was fun. Anyway, what I can't figure out is if they didn't get my return in the mail or didn't process it through the mail on time, 
that means they're using my 2018 return. And in 2018, I had a different address and I didn't have a kid yet. Mm. The only logical thing to do is tweet the president pictures of your son. That should fix it. You're going to be on hold for a long time, Borky, trying to get that sorted out with the IRS. I can't wait for that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Well, who knows though? Maybe it'll be based on. Maybe that's. Uh, maybe your check is so big that they just needed to uh, go out and get an extra large calculator to calculate how much money they were going to send you. It's true. Do they need your current address though? Because I thought it was direct deposit. Yeah, it is. Well, I, my, my, I didn't use direct deposit last year because I had to pay them. Ah. Uh, yeah, but have you ever had? Have they ever direct deposited into your account, or have you always gotten a check in the mail from the IRS, like Department um, of the Treasury? This is the first year that I've gotten money. Don't I mean? Don't forget, I. This is year six uh, of being a full-time employee anywhere after I graduated college. And the first few years, I was not married. I did not own a home. I just rented. I didn't have any assets. I didn't really even have a car. You know. So I, I just did them on TurboTax, and it was like, hey, here's $5. So <laughs> uh, Hardly my, worth the effort. Yeah, exactly. So especially the state. Like I, I got a dollar from the state last year. That was, that was fun. But So I, 2018, I didn't use direct deposit because I had to pay them. And the, the only thing I've ever seen is 18 and 19 is what they're using. If you didn't file in time this year, they will use last year. That's all I've seen. But 2017, I used an account that I don't have anymore, and that's. <laughs> wow. You're never getting a yeah, second this, buddy. Yeah. But my thing is, I filed seven, eight weeks ago. I haven't just gotten my tax return yet. Like that hasn't happened. I know they've been dealing with some stuff up there, Look, but still. On a more serious note, as I was saying a second. Ago. The good news is nobody else is having any issue with receiving stimulus money or any other money from the federal government. And so all you need to do is just call the toll-free number to the Department of the Treasury or to the IRS. It'll be a really short wait. You'll deal with an incredibly personable, oh, yeah. helpful, knowledgeable person on the other end of the line, and they will absolutely move heaven and earth to make sure that you get every penny you are owed in a unbelievably timely fashion. It's a labor of love for them. I'm very excited to learn about the competence of the federal government. College football fix is coming your way next. That will be more reliable than Michael Borky's stimulus check. We'll be right back. Five o'clock hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath? Seaspire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the Seaspire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at seaspirehealth.com. 
Borky, we got a message that says, go to irs.gov. There is a link to update your mailing address, bank account info, etc. Saw on the website where it said they aren't processing paper returns at this time due to COVID-19. Do we get football back or does Borky get his check? Which one happens first? Which happens first? Wait, 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 his stimulus check or his tax return? No, stimulus check. Does Borky get the stimulus check or his football played? I like that. I'm going to say Borky gets his stimulus check first. I'm going to say football played. Borky, this thing's coming in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can pay for your son's first birthday party at age five. <laughs> This is ridiculous, man. 60-month-old. <laughs> and, Borky, uh, you should be getting a great check, right? I mean, it should be you and Mrs. Borky and baby Borky. Hey, Dad should be getting one bigger than me. Yeah, I got I got a, It was nice. Yeah. Well, Richard should be getting one go. bigger than me. Well, I've got the smallest one locked up. <laughs> well, I mean, what? Like, That's no better. kids? Not <laughs> Just saying. No. All the asset I have is a pool that I didn't buy. So, Richard, we're we're four hours into this the college baseball stadium poll. Mm-hmm. About twenty five thousand people have voted, haven't twenty six thousand three hundred and ninety seven votes. Wow. Is it still fifty three forty seven Mississippi State? It is fifty one five forty eight five Mississippi State. Ooh. This thing's tightened up a bit in the last hour. Ole Miss has made a little push, yeah. Has it made its way to message boards yet? Oh, of course, yeah, and it's all over Twitter. Yeah. Everybody is encouraging. This is going to be like the... Um, it's going to be the message that you get tired of getting. Like, we need I've, I voted I, stickers. I've mute, I've muted, like, four conversations. Yeah. You, you, you need the I Twitter voted stickers. So, yeah, the College Baseball Nation website, they've got this... <laughs> That's funny, <laughs> I voted sticker for Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I Twitter voted. Um, yeah. yeah, twenty almost twenty seven thousand votes, or yeah. over twenty seven thousand, whatever you said. It's twenty six tight right, right now. Yeah, twenty six three ninety seven. It's gonna be tight the whole way. Yeah, Mississippi State kind of jumped out to the early lead, which is what Arkansas did on Ole Miss as well. And then there was this flurry of activity. And is anybody? Try, I mean, I've always heard that with these polls that there are ways that somebody that's really good with computers can like go back and rig some auto-voting thing. How does that work? That I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Never done a deep dive on Twitter polls. No. Is it one of those deals where you can... Borky, you may be able to help me with this. I, I don't know. Like, If you refresh your cookies or delete your cookies, can you vote a second time? Oh, I don't know. And that, that sounds like the plan, doesn't it? Or either that or you just create a bunch of fake accounts. I don't know. I, yeah, that feels like a lot of work. you got to figure out a way to get bots to vote. That's true. Like in the same way that you buy Twitter followers, if you can buy Twitter bots voting on your behalf? Not that Let's that would the necessarily involved. make... Yeah, I mean, not that that would necessarily give you a legitimate winner. Not that this is necessarily. I don't think either. I don't think either side cares. I don't think either side cares about winning legitimately. They just want to win. They want to hang that banner. Will there be a trophy for this? (laughs) I doubt it. 
Hmm. Maybe we it's should be the people to come up with a trophy. I mean, although it's not really our our thing. Then yeah. after that, a charity basketball game. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be a great idea. And then, thank you. If it doesn't happen, we can all just make donations to a good cause. As long as you make them. Well, when I say we can all do that, I'm kind of speaking out of turn. Kind of. You know how to, it's like Seinfeld. You know how to take the donation, but you don't know how to make the donation. Yeah. Yes, I got called out on Twitter and asked to post a receipt for a donation to a very worthy cause. Seemed to be a bit of a one-sided process. Oh, wait, you never got the other side of it? Hmm. No. Man, I put a small piece of bait in the water and y'all just smashed it. Yeah, well, there's no sports, Rippy. We got to take what we can get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Robert St. John's got the... um, Not not that Robert St. John's the one that didn't make a donation. It's it's his organization. It's the food bank. What's the name of it? Extra Um, Table. Extra Extra Table? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Extra yes, Table, right. which is a an incredible organization that my guess is is doing a a fantastic amount of good right now, uh, sure especially are, yeah. in this time where uh, so many meals need to be going to uh, places that, that need we them. Should, uh, we should have him on to talk about what's going on down there. We should. We, we should. We'll uh, I can, work you. Let's do it. Let's get Robert St. John on. Um. But yeah, I was uh, uh, shamed. It wasn't the right way to describe it. Was challenged to make a donation to Extra Table since the uh, basketball game didn't turn out to be the case, and I did. And then I was asked to post a receipt of the donation that I made, which I did begrudgingly because, eh, well, whatever. I'm sure they're still accepting donations. Just don't hold your breath waiting on one. Now, are you I'm saying sorry. people operate in bad faith? No, not here. Uh, you want to be part of the conversation, you can. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Your Ford dealers are still open, and they can help you with whatever it is that you need right now. Great deals on Fords, cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs. Vice President Mike Pence was reportedly a good listener earlier today on a conference call. With the College Football Playoff Management Committee to discuss the impact of the coronavirus pan- uh, pandemic on college athletics. Bob Bowlesby and Jack Swarbrick are quoted extensively in this story from CBS Sports. Here are a couple of the money quotes Bob Bowlesby Our players are students. If we're not in college, we're not having contests. Our message was, we need to get universities and colleges back open, that we were education-based programs, 
and we weren't going to have sports until we had something closer to normal college going on. The White House had sought, uh, was actually the one that sought out this call with the leaders of major college sports top conferences earlier in the week. President Trump has been supportive of sports restarting soon. The college football playoff management group is composed of commissioners from the Power Five and Group of Five leagues, along with Notre Dame Athletics Director Jack Swarbrick. Today marked 33 days since the uh, the NCAA tournament had been canceled. Here's another quote from Bowlesby. Uh, Vice President Pence expressed his gratitude for what we did with the basketball tournaments. He acknowledged it was difficult and expensive to cancel conference tournaments and not play the NCAA tournament. I think he appreciated hearing our thoughts. Here's something from Jack Swarbrick. That's the worst version of this. Getting started and having to stop. The idea of coming back too soon. I thought the thing from Jack Swarbrick was the Foo Fighters for a second there. I was, you paused and I was like, "Is this?" I don't get the joke, but okay. That's he says, similarly <laughs> to Bob Bowlesby, this is all about it sort of begins and ends with bringing our students back to campus. It's just hard to figure out how you can say, we believe the campus isn't safe for our student body, and oh, we're going to bring back one group of students. So, kind of sounds like that's where conference commissioners are right now. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. That's your college football fix. So, Borky, what's this um, this NFL Cleveland Browns, Minnesota Vikings, OBJ, yes it is, no it isn't. What are we looking at right now? I can't quite figure it out. I do uh, believe that Cleveland is shopping Odell Beckham Jr. And Jay Glazer did this weird thing last night where he was on a, a radio show and said that he was going to break major news tonight on a different program. It was bizarre, but I mean, Glazer's pretty good at breaking stuff. So maybe this is it. I don't know. That would make a ton of sense, though. I mean, Minnesota losing Stephon Diggs, and now they've got a a good receiver core, but a hold to fill in that spot. And Cleveland is trying to get that headache away from their city. I mean, he was literally lining up before plays, yelling at the opponent's sideline, asking them to trade for him. So the Browns would be better suited, as talented as he is, just to get rid of him somehow. So hearing that they're shopping him and they may have found a suitor is not surprising in the least bit. Is this a win, though? Like, I'm not, I don't even know if I necessarily believe this, but would you call Odell Beckham Jr. a headache in New York? Not I mean, he got in a fight with an inanimate object. I would qualify that as yes. Yeah, he was absolutely so, a headache in New York. And he's a headache but in Cleveland. He wasn't originally, right? He, he became one. He wasn't like one. I mean, you're the giving the benefit of the doubt for like his rookie year not being a headache, okay. essentially. He's just a and headache. So, yeah, so if that's the case there and Cleveland, and you kind of had a minor distraction with Stefan Diggs being unhappy, why would you replace it with the bigger one when receivers are proven to be invaluable? Not valuable is not the right phrase, but doesn't necessarily directly equate to winning. Why would you want this if you were in Minnesota? Can you imagine how bad he would stuff Kirk Cousins in a locker at the moment things got bad? It would be quick. It would, it would, it would be very quick. Early, early, in, early in the process. And Mike this Zimmer is, doesn't strike me as the kind of coach 
that Odell Beckham would necessarily jibe with. No, neither yeah, did agree. Dirty Mustache Guy. What was his name? McAdoo or the last guy in New York? For, Dirty for, Mustache. What was his name? Ma- yeah, Ben it McAdoo. It was McAdoo. You're right. No, you're right. But, like, it just uh, this would be a one-sided winner for sure the moment it happened. This is a stretch. But is there a scenario where a former LSU wide receiver being teamed up with a now former LSU quarterback is like the thing? Or would that be very, very short-lived? Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not saying they played together at LSU, but it's like there's that that bond. Cleveland takes Joe. No, that's not. He's going to say yeah, that's Cleveland. why they were silent. Just confused at the uh, the question. Never there. mind. Wrong Ohio team. That's bad. Joe Burrow's going to the other one. Sorry. Even if that had had happened, he's literally with this college teammate Jarvis Landry right now, and that that hasn't really helped things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. What's Mettenberger doing? <laughs> didn't he try for the XFL but didn't get drafted or something? Wow, that's pretty rough. If that's the case. <laughs> Man, I was fleshing that thing out in my head, though, the whole, hey, what if you put Joe Burrow and OBJ together? Would that LSU tie be good enough? Put them together in Cleveland? Oh, wait, Cleveland's not going to get Joe Burrow. It's the other team in Ohio. Well, my bad. Cleveland has no excuse to be bad this year, though. I mean, Odell Beckham aside, even if they no trade him, which they should. Year. Right, exactly. But, I mean, Freddie Kitchens was incompetent as a head coach. But you've been able to acquire – and put together a roster that's pretty good, actually. I mean, and they had issues on the offensive line last year, but uh, you would think that Conklin from Tennessee will help, and then they should go get another tackle in the first round of the draft. You've got good running backs. You've got good wide receivers, one of them being a headache. A number one pick quarterback, a really talented defense with a good pass rush if Miles Garrett decides he doesn't want to use helmets as weapons anymore. And now, suddenly, that should be a playoff team. If they're not, they're moving on from Baker Mayfield after this season. Watch. It's not just pretty good. They were a top-five talent team last year and again this year. Yeah. The talent's not the issue there. It's just There's just something in the air. I don't know. Kitchens was a disaster. Top-five talent? Uh, absolutely. Roster talent? Who would you trade that roster for? If, I guess quarterback aside, because you don't really know there. But... All other 21 positions, are there five teams you would take over the Browns? I probably wouldn't. I'm not even sure it's close. Okay. Really good defense, upgraded offensive line, all kinds of skill position weapons. Like, them being bad last year was mystifying. Well, it wasn't. I mean, you knew where the source was, but, like. They hired the wrong guy. No, yeah, I was going to say, you know what's mystifying? A, A successful billionaire businessman looking around and going, you know what? I think Freddie Kitchens is our guy. That's what's mystifying. (laughs) How did that happen? How do you run a billion-dollar corporate empire and be such a poor judge of, I don't want to say judge of character, but I mean, like just judge of people, of talent, of everything. Like, what about Freddie Kitchens? Like, like anything. Mayfield's first OC, they were, like, close friends. That was pretty much how he got the gig. Yeah, but 
Okay, you know what he that, also has. He worked, he worked under a former SEC coach of the year. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but you know how it, like you know who what else he has a gigantic influence on. Tennessee football. How is that working out? That's true. That's a good point. Maybe he's just not very good at it. Yeah. But still, I mean, you had an interim coach. I know he's got the checkered past or whatever, but you did go 5-2 and two in your last seven. And your two losses were in Baltimore by two points, and they went to Houston and lost. Otherwise, that's a 5-2 and two football team down the stretch. Almost made the playoffs with an interim coach. You don't promote him. You hire Baker's buddy, and you tank. Like, who... Who thought that was going to go any other way? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And, and again, Rippy pointed out why it happened. I know why it happened. But it's like, you know what? He dresses like a slob. Bill Belichick dresses like a slob, and he's won <laughs> five Super Bowls, six Super Bowls. Let's hire Freddie Kitchens. It's, it's almost like that's as far as it went. It was last year's, hey, he shook hands with Sean McVay one time, higher. I think yeah, they got so in, sense than that. I think they got so intoxicated by just having a small amount of success because the Browns had five wins over the course of like what three and a half years, and then they went five and two in a seven game stretch, and they wanted continuity. Yeah, but it wasn't with Freddie Kitchens as the head coach. No, but Greg Williams wasn't really doing a ton. I mean, he ran the def. It was basically run a defense, run the offense thing. I'm not saying it's the right move, but you're asking how it happened. I'm going to bet they got so intoxicated that they won five games without the calendar turning over multiple times. They're like, let's stick with this. And of yes. course, it was no, awful. Again, I understand how it happened and why it happened. My question, though, is how are you a successful billionaire business owner and you look around and the options that you've got for head coach? And the interviews that you go through, and you look at Freddie Kitchens and you go, yep, that's my guy right there. He's the one that's going to be different than everybody else that we've run through this franchise. Let's go, Freddie. Lead the Cleveland Browns to the promised land. Here are the keys. By the way, eight months later, you're fired. I think that's a large argument of the best owners – uh, get out of the way and hire people to do the job for them. And typically the owners with the largest amount of influence and the most public ones are pretty bad at their jobs. Buy or sell. Oh, 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 buy or sell. Well, he doesn't really interfere, but no, he is public. public. Yeah, that's fair. But I don't think, I mean, he lets Belichick run the entire thing. Right. Buy or sell, Buy or sell, Borky. Buy or sell. Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl in Tampa before Baker Mayfield wins a playoff game in Cleveland. Oh, I mean, I don't think either one of those things are going to happen. So, Yeah, well, pick one. Sell. Pick You're talking Baker. about two years uh, of Brady. Yeah. yeah the, the window, yeah. Brady's not winning a Super Bowl the next two years, I don't think. So He's got some dudes to throw it to now. That's true. I keep I just, I... seeing and hearing these national people talk about how Brady fell off a cliff last year, and I just wonder if they actually watched the games. I'll, I'll answer that for you. They do not. It, that's got to be the answer. Because although they have a great system in New England, obviously, he's got the best coach maybe to ever live coaching him. Look at the offense that he had to deal with, threw for over 4,000 yards, won 13 games, hosted a playoff game. What more do you want from your guy? I think he's going to have a Montana like AFC title game, far type run. It's just hard to win the Super oh, yeah. Bowl. Yeah, it's a roster that can do it though.
Robert in Oak Grove says they have an extremely bad culture issue on the Browns. Get another one from Curtis and Tupelo says that uh, Williams was the better choice. Haslam didn't like him. Kitchens was a good offensive coordinator. Lifelong Browns fan hoping for the playoffs this year. Good luck to you, Curtis. I'm just hoping for football this year. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. You can go back to work the very same day. Contact our friends at Acoustic Wave today. Their website, AcousticWaveMS.com. And their phone number is 855-563-6100. That's 855-563-6100. On this yesterday in sports history, we only rewind one year. Tiger Woods won the Masters. His fifth green jacket completing what is considered to be the greatest comeback story in sports history. He finished 13 under par after shooting a final round 70. He was able to hold off uh, Xander Shoffley, who shot a final round 68. Brooks Kepka, who shot 70 in the final round. And Dustin Johnson, who shot 68 in the final round. Pretty good leaderboard when it was all said and done. Tiger Woods was paired with Francesco Molinari in the final round. Molinari, though, Shot a two over 74 and finished two shots behind Tiger Woods, who was 13 under, Shoffley, Kepka, and Johnson at 12 under, and then Molinari at 11 under. What is the lasting memory that you have from last year's Masters, Tiger coming back and getting the win? Hey, Dad, if you say I picked it, I'm going to slap you through the radio. <laughs> Ooh, well, I'll try to avoid that. I, I I think I remember the most that the inevitability of it. Like as he started gaining momentum, it became this this is going to happen thing, and you knew it was going to happen. And when it did happen, it was incredible. I, and that was a fun day on social media as everybody was watching mm-hmm. and everybody was getting into everybody. It. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Rippy, what's your lasting memory? Porky and I talked about this uh, earlier this week, but it's the. What was it, Borky? What were the stretch of holes? It's three birdies and four holes on, I don't have it in front of me. It's 11 through 15 or 12 through 16. I think it was 12 through 16. Yeah, because he birdied 16, knocked it real close, almost in the hole. Well, at that point, as he's going through that, barring something insane that Kepka does on 18, because if Kepka makes, Kepka, excuse me, makes that birdie putt on 18, then he, like, there's a chance for a playoff, even though Tiger probably doesn't play for a five. But it went from, is he going to do this to this is probably going to happen? So you kind of had a hole and a half to like just kind of get uh, kind of mentally ready for the stage that was about to happen on 18 and not really have to worry about him blowing it. So like the casual build up to him actually getting to the 18th green and like that whole scene was pretty insane because I rewatched that final round on Sunday and I was telling Borky the first time I watched it, we were covering an old Miss baseball game. So like I was paying attention but unless you're just completely locked into the broadcast and have no other distractions, you don't really get the full effect. And that was really the first time I'd gotten the full effect of it. 
Tiger made the turn on Sunday at one under. He had birdies on three, seven, and eight. He had back-to-back bogeys on four and five. On the back nine, he bogeyed ten. He made a birdie on the par five thirteenth. He birdied fifteen. He birdied sixteen. And then he made it interesting on eighteen. He bogeyed eighteen, although it wasn't in doubt at that point. I mean, he, he, he knew had that the- he could win it with a bogey. He had the tree trouble in the second shot, so he just kind of like, like, cut it around and hit it in that little area where he knew he'd get up—not up and down, but up and in in three shots without, I mean, barring like a shank or something. Borky, if I told you you could hit one shot, and one shot only, at Augusta National, what shot would you hit? It's a good question. I. Th- think it would be one of two and they're both on the back the tee shot on one would be pretty sweet to hit but because and you've seen it or 18 but you're in this kind of a shoot where the gallery's really close to you until it widens out so hitting that tee shot and then walking through a narrow gallery up the first would be really cool but either like plant me at 200 out on 15 off the tee hitting hitting the second shot into 15 would be sweet or on 16 planting one up on top of the hill and letting it just slowly roll down the slope towards the cup. Those would be two. What about you, Rippy? Oh, we got a text One that shot. said, who cares? Guess what? Stop listening. Yikes. What else are we supposed to talk about right now? Seriously. Anger, man. Just, it's No, it's not anger. It's passion. What else do you want us to talk about right now? Guy who says, who cares? You provide the content for us for the rest of the show, and we'll do it. Actually, I got. A I'm a doctor, and I'm going to diagnose that as anger, but it's well warranted. I would probably go first tee shot because if you get it in the air, it's a W. And we're assuming a gallery is watching, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it could be Sunday, or just you're out there and you get your one opportunity to play it. I don't know. One of the par threes, like sticking it, you know. Nine, ten feet would be kind of a power move. But honestly, if you're playing in front of people and you just get that first tee shot off the ground, I am uh I'm I'm probably taking that. So not too terribly long ago, I had the opportunity to play it. Um I haven't talked about it, haven't mentioned it on the air or not. You you guys knew about it, but haven't at all. Um, everything that you imagine it could be, it is. It's funny that the, the thought that I had for like a month leading up to it, Rippy, you just talked about the tee shot on number one. It's the only thing I could think about. Get it in the air on number one. Just take it back easy, hit it smooth. And I did. I had a I had a great tee shot on number one. But then I left it right of the green and then chunked it and then three jacked on number one and made a double bogey. I didn't make a par until eight. And yeah, you know, was never mind what you shoot, how you hit it, whatever you play. It's just gorgeous. But then I played pretty well on the back nine. I had a Good stretch coming in. I uh, parred five of the six holes coming in. My one bogey was on uh, was on seventeen, and 
It was just spectacular. And Borky, I told you, I wasn't going to mention, we weren't going to talk about it until we were talking about the Masters doing yeah. during <laughs> Augusta week. And then it didn't happen. Yeah. So well. I will say this. It was really cool the other night. I was watching the replay from 97. Which is a little hard to do because it's not in HD. I mean, if you watch this past weekend, the replay from last year, it's crystal clear in HD and everything spectacular versus watching 97 when Tiger just obliterated the field. And it's like you're watching on a you know square screen, black and white, what are all these images on the side going over. But it's so cool to watch it and see shots differently. Um. Anyway, the the tee shot on one is really, really cool. But the tee shot on 18 is so much fun. Borky, what do you envision on 18 kind of when you when you think about Augusta? Um, the walk-up. How – and you got to do it. Did you picture people standing around – when you were walking up, do you do that? I did walking up 18 Fairway, yes. You start waving to people? <laughs> you know what? I think I did have kind of like a little moment where with one of the guys that I was playing with, I was like, is this the part where we tip our cap? Is it, are we supposed to tip our cap walking up here now? Because <laughs> it's like to the imaginary uh, whatever, uh, the, the crowd. I'd have done that all day long. I'd have waved pull the ball to out of the everybody. Hole and give, just a little hole, the little wave with the ball there. Yep. Yeah, that, that would that would have happened. Yes, I think I made one putt the entire round, so I didn't have much to tip my cap. <laughs> a bogey saving putt on seventeen was the best putt that I hit all day. Uh, anyway, um, but to me, the tee shot on eighteen was so cool because I mean, it is a shoot. It's it's narrow. There, there are only two sets of tees on the entire course. There are the member tees, and there are the tournament tees. And no, you do not have the opportunity to say, you know, I was just, I'd love to see what it's like to hit it from where the pros hit it. No, no, that, that's not an option. You can walk back and look at where they hit it, but there's no teeing it up and hitting it from where the uh, the pros hit it. I will, um, I'll tell you more about it at some point. Um, you know what maybe the most impressive thing at Augusta is? Is the new media center. The the auditory like you can't really tell. Like when you watch the, the players press conference, all you see is that zoomed in shot with the video board behind them, which is you know all digital now. It's like a three hundred seat auditorium, amphitheater style. And every media terminal has Two mounted computer screens, one for you to keep up with the leaderboard, and the other for you to watch whatever you want to watch is happening on the course at the time. It's remarkable. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.